Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the MedTech Business Academy podcast hosted by our MedTech experts. Today's MedTech expert panelists today are joining me are Barbara Strain, Mike Sperduti, Tom Hickey, Scott Alexander, and I'm Skedder Dirty. We're very fortunate to be joined by our special guest today, Mike Golubowski, Corporate Vice President of Strategy and Innovation at Bebron. This is the MedTech Business Academy. Mike, thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I promise you that we would keep this very simple and conversational, so we'll make sure journalistic integrity is always good there. Um, but first and foremost, your title says it all, right? Vice President of Strategy and Innovation. And we're coming off a period here where most of what people have been doing is chasing around the provider side, is chasing a lot of fires and putting out a lot of fires, as has the supplier community. I'm sure you guys have had your own internal supply and labor fires. Tell us, where has strategy and innovation played a role for the last few years, and how is it playing a role now? Great question. Happy to be here, and thank you all. Um, appreciate it. That's a tough question. Um, you know, you could say, one, the obvious, obvious answer that COVID had a major impact on uh, driving innovation, uh, or at least slowing it down. But at the same time, I would probably say, if anything, it actually opened up a lot of people's eyes to really becoming innovative when they were forced to. So a lot of our healthcare system providers, customers, um, when the going got tough, they got innovative and they didn't even realize it. So they started doing things faster and quicker than you could have ever imagined. I think the obvious would be digital health. How quickly did they adopt digital health and doing remote um, check-ins with their patients, right? Um, at a level of volume that was far beyond anything that was ever predicted or forecasted, right? Great example to clinicians and nurses when they were short on products, right? And how do they manage care and deal with patients? Um, they got very creative. Right. And it's impressive. And and for me, the key part about that is when you really dig into it, some of the things that they're doing was actually very creative. And then you go, why weren't we doing that in the first place? Right. And you go, we're going to keep the good things that actually forced us to change and drive new behaviors and delivering care. Um, a lot of the good things that make sense are going to continue. Um, and if anything, it just shows that, yes, when you're forced to change and reevaluate how you're doing it, when you don't have, I'd say, um, when, when the boats launch and you can't turn back, you figure it out. And a lot of people figured it out. And I think that's the part that most people say, well, we stopped being innovative. I, I, I'd probably say I would disagree and say that's actually not true. Uh, a lot of customers did get innovative, may not have felt like it. You're trying to survive, right? <laughs> Supply shortages, labor, all those things, too, as well. but. I saw a lot of creativity on how they provided uh, care. So you got to applaud all those that tackled that challenge. But um, there were good nuggets um, that are going to be with us moving forward from here. So um, that's at least my perspective that I've seen that I'd, I'd say hats off to a lot of our customers out there. Hey, Mike, any uh, any particularly I, I agree, right? It's like um, challenge drives innovation. Uh, any particular innovations that you saw that are particularly admirable or uh, positively surprising? Uh, to me, a great one is um, when you're dealing with right um, the volume of care of patients coming through the healthcare system, right? Um, being able to mobilize to do even hospital at home, 
I think that's a, that's quite impressive in the time period that you're able to do it. Um, so you can talk about the enormous cost of building a facility in a building, or you could talk about delivering new care models at the home side where a patient actually is, it feels a lot better as well too, as well. That, that's a great one for me that I love. Um, even from the, the production side of the supplier side, I saw, right? When residents, suppliers can't deliver and you got to validate a new supplier quickly, the speed and the turnaround time was very impressive to kind of keep, try to keep um, that going too as well at levels that were unprecedented. So I think the combination of FDA facilities, customers trying to figure this out in such a short time frame when you're forced to uh, really open up the, the doors there too as well. So um, that, that's where I'd say for me, it, it's quite impressive that at least on the front lines of the care at home model, um, it still is expensive. But I think now technology is going to catch up to say, okay, you're using technology that was built for the hospital. <laughs> you applied it to the home. The next question is, okay, let's go back to the need of what you're doing. And then how do we modify our equipment, our technologies, and everything else to actually now solve for that in a much more efficient model to catch up from there? So. That's really cool. Thanks. You said a real critical word right there is need, because sometimes it was the, you know, the fancy thing or that yeah. sat in a corner after you bought it or whatever. So coming after it from a provider side of things, what are like the the healthcare economics that go on with the innovation? Because it's not just I've invented something or I've reinvented something, but what is that real need? What is the the value of doing healthcare economics today? Robert, great question. Uh, you remind me of my team. I have a health economics person. He is always <laughs> challenging, challenging, challenging us on, well, who's going to benefit? Who's going to pay for it? All those things, right? Um, I think pre-COVID, everybody's doing a lot of product enhancements saying, I got maybe a little bit of a better trap, right? And everything else. And then they're trying to justify the cost for improvements. But in the end, there's a lot of fluff to it. And at the end of the day, I think you really got to focus on the customer's needs and, and trying to satisfy that part of it too. And that's what you got to break it down to. So um, I think for us, a great example would be when we're looking at vascular access to understanding why is it that you can't, you, you know, why can't you just have the experience of one stick for your entire course of stay, right? Why can't that be the bar? And really drill down deep enough into it, you realize, look, we can't solve this with just a better product, a better catheter at the end of the day. Let's be honest, right? There are a lot of other issues that impact that from training and education, right? Almost half of nurses aren't even trained coming out of nursing school on how to start an IV. Right. And so and then who's actually providing the training from there and how were they trained and everything else. So when you look at the true need and what's what's getting in interfering with the true goal that you're trying to achieve, um, it's not just products in itself as well. Um, I think a lot of the marketplace, they're focused on products because that's what financially benefits them. But I always say you got to dig a little bit deeper. And a lot of these problems you can't just solve with just one widget. They are multifaceted and you got to take a different approach. And if you're going to come to the value chain and you got to have a good um, concrete understanding of the need. Um, and then let's talk about how we're going to work together to solve for it. So I, I think that's a huge disparity now of innovation really isn't product enhancements, extensions, 
um, so much these days. There's more to it. Problems are, are a lot more difficult as well, too. And so you need to make sure you understand all those components and how you're going to work together to solve it rather than just saying, I got a widget here to sell you. That's going to meet your needs. Mike, to build on that, um, from my end, um, I'm just kind of curious that, you know, to access that need, you really need to have clinical contact. And a lot of people I talk to these days are discussing, geez, it's really hard to get to that clinician anymore. And I'm wondering, you know, what best practices or strategies your team has uh, developed to get to those clinicians to immerse, right? You've got to immerse to understand the need. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, that's another one. Um, we saw it. It's hard to get in front of the, the frontline workers when they're trying to keep the lights on, right, and take care of their patients. Um, that's where we actually started uh, really focusing on partnerships with healthcare systems, too, as well. Um, we have announced our partnership with MassGen, um, and it's multifaceted. One, understanding their needs um, and how do we work together to solve for that, too. Um, two, when we come up with our solutions, how quickly can I get in front of those clinicians that are actually going to be using um, whatever it is I'm trying to solve for? And does it really meet their needs at the end of the day? Because it doesn't matter what our opinions are. I always keep on telling our teams, I don't care about our opinions. Prove to me that it's validated on the front lines of our audience and our target. So um, that was key, I, I think, early on. Uh, we have another uh, announcement too as well that we're going to do another partnership. But I think those alliances, those partnerships, where it's a win-win, where we work together to solve each other's pain points. Um, but there's a lot of insights from the, the customer's perspective to lie up, line up resources on both parties um, where we could solve for it together much more efficiently. So I, I actually like what I'm seeing today is that um, before a lot of customers are saying, hey, your industry, stay away. <laughs> I think we're all realizing today, together we need each other if we're really going to go after some of these complex challenges and issues. So um, providing the resources on both sides is crucial um, in really um, becoming innovative because let's be honest, innovation is not easy. It's not like they're all just hanging out there, sitting out there and, you know, oh, let's just go and become innovative, rah, 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 and let's go after it. Um, it's much more complex and dynamic than that, too, as well. And so the team dynamics is important and, and having the customers as well involved on the on the team is 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 just awesome. Um, and then that's why we started doing more partnerships with our frontline uh, customers as well. Mike, I'm wondering, you know, Braun is such a legacy, iconic brand and company in the medical device space. And how hard is it to get innovation through a company like that? Like, what are the challenges that you face? And my second question is, what are the top three initiatives that you have for the company moving forward? Yeah, that's, a, that's another good one, right? Uh, we've been around for almost 180 years now, right? It's impressive. Yep. In the end, you can't be around for 180 years unless you're you're innovating. Um, and Vibram realized at the end of the day, that's got to still be a core part of our DNA. Now, the honest assessment of our industries, when you have a vast portfolio, a lot of resources are dedicated on sustaining your current portfolios. You know, mm -hmm. from the FDA requirements, the regulations that you have to do, things change. And that absorbs and sucks a lot of resources. And so 
Um, the challenge that at least here in North America and working with the global, global teams was um, we're going to try to do something different. Um, we no longer, at least my perspective is, I don't believe you can use the current resources and say, sustain the business and be innovative. You're either attached to the rocket or you're not, right? And so um, for the sake of speed, especially, and able to test, learn, confirm, or adjust what I like to say with our teams, how quickly do we get that feedback um, and adjust? We decided to create a separate unit team that has access to a lot of resources internally and talent and experts when and wherever it's needed at times. But the core team is gonna actually drive whenever we identify those needs and those pot potential solutions to carry them through all the phase gates and we'll tap into the resources whenever they're needed as well. So it's almost a hybrid approach of big company, but isolate kind of a small startup environment and utilize the benefits of being able to tap into the big company when needed, but let them run and operate on their own. The environment's gotta be different, the speed, the approaches, everything else, the mentality has gotta be different, but the resources are dedicated. And I like to say, it's almost like a savings account. Um, five years from now, uh, you'll be happy. You invested funds in innovations that are fully accountable for those fund, those funds and resources that are dedicated on the front lines for innovations, um, or else you're going to wish later on you did that. And so that's where I think we're testing out. My team is is a newer approach that we just did a couple of years ago, um, and actually isolating it almost putting firewalls so we're not sucked in because it's easy right when things change or challenges come up on a big organization i need more resources where are you going to pull from right mm -hmm. and so that's where i say keep innovation separate keep it dedicated fully funded and focused um and then um you'll be happy if they continue to move the needle um three or five years from now you'll be happy that you did uh, because it's different, it's difficult in our environment right now with all the regulation changes to and everything else to do both at the same time. So you got to do a different approach as well. Hey, Mike, how far down through the commercial uh, journey are you authorized to go? Can you take things to market or you do you need to hand that over to the existing sales team? Yeah, so I, I don't like to take things to market. What I like to say is we de-risk as fast as possible to get to a final design that we are saying, okay, it's ready for prime time. Now we're gonna make this an official project. We're gonna add more resources, but on the internal big company perspective and saying, okay, we vetted it. We are now confident in our solution. Now, you know, get it through all the remaining phase gates of manufacturing, um, R&D, uh, regulatory approvals and everything else. Uh, we'll transfer that knowledge, but, that ship sailed, we move on. So we stay early on the front lines, completely de-risked up to the point where we're confident. We say thumbs up, we got it, it's vetted. Here's our final design requirements and make the, the official project and move forward. That's cool. So, yeah. so Mike, one thing I wanna ask out of the innovation front is for a 180 plus year old company, innovation has typically been done organically, right? R&D. Um, and you know, if you look across the industry, there used to be the benchmark, Innovative companies are spending 10 to 12% of their revenue on R&D. That has been shrunk down and now that's an M&A budget. How do you, tell me, how do you look at that from a perspective of, especially a legacy company making that shift? What is 
Braun been doing in that in that vein? And then second to that, what strikes your attention even when you're looking at it? I mean, not, not product wise, but like, how does a company even get your attention? To be like, that's a company I need to talk to. Yeah. So, from my perspective, what I've seen, it's a small industry. You, you get to talk to a lot of people and, and so forth. Um, I would say the larger companies, um, from what I've been hearing, right? You talk about the JJs, Medtronics. Things are changing so much where before it was kind of, I'm going to invest early, uh, almost like in my portfolio of 10 opportunities. I'm hoping for, you know, home run and one of them, almost like, you know, um, a venture capitalist. And then, you know, maybe have a triple or two in there and then mostly doubles after that. Um, what I've seen and what I've been hearing is that now most med tech companies, et cetera, will say, you know what? I didn't want to place those bets, prove the model. I'll pay for you a little bit more. But in the end, I know exactly what I'm getting. And then I'll internalize it and then scale it from there. Um, and therefore, less risk. Sure, I may pay a, a little bit more at the end of the day, but I know what I'm getting. And I could, and that's a bit more proven model. So I think it's the risk tolerance of the organization. And that de depends on the leadership, how much money they're willing to invest, right? So that's where I say, okay, if if you don't have the ammunition and the big budgets to wait and then potentially get into those bidding wars to take those on too as well, then you're probably going to have to take on more risk and get on a little bit earlier, right? So the question is, how early do you want to play when it comes to these new innovative opportunities? Now, our industry, right, some of these innovations, they take well over seven years easily, right? So when you're talking about getting in early, at what point are you comfortable from a financial risk and an organizational risk perspective uh, and based on your funds and resources. So that's that was the conversation I had with our, my CEO too, as well as saying, okay, you wanna get innovative. Let's talk about kind of what parameters that do I have to work, at, work with and that you're comfortable with as well. And then we'll define our strategy and our approach and everyone's different. Um, but at least what I've seen with the bigger ones, they say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm better off waiting. And, and then I'll pull the trigger and, and pay for a little bit more in the end. So it seems it seems to be changing, at least with these larger guys that have bigger access to capital right now. You know, one of the things, because I, I come from an innovation background too, and one of the benefits that I saw from when I was running the group was, number one, we could tailor the like the the pipeline to be closely matching because I did this at Covidian and then wow. did it at Mercy. So you can tailor, okay, what are the types of things that we're doing as opposed to having to go to the store and buy something, which is essentially the M&A side. Yep. But the other thing that I saw, and this is just basically me trying to get you a raise, is um, <laughs> we were able to inform the, the core business on things that we were seeing yeah. that they may not. And in this really turbulent time, um, there's so much stuff that's happening and we're out, you know, my team was out talking to people all over the, you know, up and down the organization and being able to say, Hey, by the way, we got a trend that we're seeing, which is X, Y, or Z ASCs are becoming a thing. It's like 2012. We're doing this. Like those kinds of insights can lead to driving the core business in a different way than if we just locked in. I don't know if you see that a lot in what you're doing, but that was a big thing that we saw. Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. Right. You, you kind of see the prevailing themes and you almost see the numbers click up in specific areas and, and you know what, what's already hot right now. Right. And so yep. you can actually look at your, your kind of portfolios and saying, wow, this market and rightfully so. Right. Technology is a great example. 
Um, people are applying technology for the sake of technology, but um, mm -hmm. the processing power, um, right, and the energy requirements, more important, the costs have come down so much. We're five, 10 years ago, you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's almost there, but it's not. And then all of a sudden, wow, you know, costs have really come down. You could really apply these technology approaches as well. So that technology push is really pushing things depending on the economic side of it too and the capabilities. Yep. And I'd say that's where the speed of change and you see really fast, especially with a lot of these VCs, and they're smart. Um, they get ahead of it too. And then you see the approaches that they're coming to us with too. And you go, hey, I'm going to let my product teams know we see this, we're hearing this all day long. And we're going to keep you up to up to speed on it, too. So a lot of our strategies that we do on a yearly basis, we keep in touch with our product management group areas and saying, OK, what are you focused on, too, as well as what we're hearing and sharing those insights back and forth consistently, because it does change quickly, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, Michael, kind of along those lines a little bit is you have some restructuring and rebuilding of some verticals and companies and things. So what are some of the things that actually trigger when that should happen? You know, what are some sort of ways of evaluating that and then decide that those need to be done? Barbara, when he asked, with, with that question, you asked about when we're evaluating company? Yeah. And and when do you know that I think it's time to restructure or rebuild some sort of part of our organization or whatever versus letting it run? Yeah. Good question there. Um, when I look at truly disruptive, trailblazing startups, you're always looking at the team and saying, do they have the right team? Are we aligned on the risk game plan? and the priorities that you need to de-risk at, at a certain point. Um, and then two, can they can they really move a lot faster than us? I always say, leave them alone, give them the environment to be successful. You know, from a big company perspective, we'll support them, but let them lead and trailblaze and we'll give them all the resources, whatever they need from that point. So I think that's a great model. Anytime you have the ability to partner with a larger company that says, yep, I'm aligned with what you're targeting. And right now we are aligned with the risk that we all identify, but we believe we could overcome. And we have the resources to support you. You tell us what you need. We'll make it happen. But I want you driving this and leading this until it's proven, until it's ready for scale. All those things. I always say never interrupt, never interfere. Um, these are unique unicorns serial entrepreneurs out there too that just thrive in this environment if you take them out of that environment it just dies right and that's the last thing you want to do so to me it's feed the beast keep them going keep them focused and keep them healthy and resourced um, that's the biggest benefit that we provide to them in, in those times too as well and it's a win-win in the end so so mike if i can jump in with 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 all of that do you find it sometimes that your team is getting uh, a little bit of the shiny object syndrome? When, and if so, how do you kind of keep them in, in the corral, right, and, and focused? Yeah. This is why you have diversity in your teams. <laughs> so um, I, I got to be honest, I, I'm blessed with the team that I have in place today, and mainly from the, the perspective of the diversity and thought. 
Um, they're all very smart. They're all very capable. Um, but yes, one came from hospital administration, Barbara, <laughs> right? Um, he's the penny pincher. He asked the tough questions. I have the clinician on board too, as well as the R&D um, pricing as well. Willingness to pay is another big part of it, right? It may be shiny object that people go, oh yes, I'd buy it, but who are you talking to? Is it the true one that's actually going to pay the bills? I see that a lot with a lot of entrepreneurs are like, I got a better mousetrap. Of course, they're going to buy it. Of course, they're going to pay for it. But Barbara, you know this, right? At the end of the day, someone's got to assess it and saying, am I willing to pay more for this new enhancement and opportunity? That's the importance of the diversity in our team here. And that's how we keep each other balanced. I joke around with my team. I say, it's a great dysfunctional family because <laughs> I, I always tell them, you're here for a reason. You have the talent, you have the expertise. I expect you to speak up if you're not on board and, and bring up that component of it. Cause I don't want to find about it later, right? So are we aligned? It's almost like if it gets through our team and our team's assessment with all these different viewpoints, then I know we got something here. Um, the last thing you want is a team that views everything the same going for the home run balls all the all the time and everything else in the unicorns and everything else and and not keeping us grounded i'll tell you there's there's definitely people on our team that keeps us grounded all the time it's tough conversations but at the end it pays off in the long run and preventing those big mistakes of chasing after shiny objects all the time too so yeah um so that, that for me the team dynamics are crucial let's say that i'm a uh, vice president of marketing or i'm a ceo of a small uh, medical device company, I'm listening in and I'm like, I want what Mike is doing in my organization. How do you think about scaling your capability from, you know, what Bibron can do down to what a, a smaller, you know, call it a $10 million a year company? How would you do it differently? How would you, what would you keep saying? And what, what would be different in that kind of an environment? So we, um, I've always heard about Stanford's biodesign for That's entrepreneurship. Awesome. Yep. It's yeah. awesome. Right. Yeah. They nailed it. They break it down simple. It's hard to break things down simple when it comes to the need, right? The problem, the outcome, and the population. But their high-level framework to me, it's a proven model. I mean, these guys were serial entrepreneurs as well, too. Um, and the big companies are doing it as well. Um, we went, uh, when we first formed our team, we went to the biodesign process. And then I go, wow, thankfully I got luckily. We got a good diverse team, kind of how they, they looked at it too as well. Next part is their process. That needs statement early on, mm -hmm. that really sets you up for everything else. You don't get that right. You got bigger problems that are going to catch up to you in the end. So for me, I'm a big fan of them um, and their process. It's nice and simple. It's tough. It's not easy when you really push your teams to answer that needs statement when it comes to specifics. Um, but that's the upfront part. And mm -hmm. after that, that'll all, always keep you focused when it comes to your barber, right? That need that we're truly to solve because a lot of times I see a lot of companies when they say the population or the outcome, right? They go, well, yeah, but we can also believe we could address this other segment, this other group. They start adding more and more. And then they come to position less and saying, yeah, our market's huge. We could do all these things. And I go, how do you know the needs of all these different segments that you're now throwing in there, right? Let's walk you, let's walk through that too as well. So um that's where if anything, I, you know, not to be promotional here, but 
it's a nice, elegant model that challenges you early on, but it's important early on to get that need statement buttoned up. Just a quick thing in the bar, you like you were going to say something. Um, for those of you who can't go to Stanford and uh, get trained up on biodesign, which again, I would highly recommend, um, they have a textbook um, that you can find. I think it's on Amazon. You yep. can find it. The authors of the book are uh, Zenios, Z-E-N-I-O-S, Paul Yock, who invented uh, over the catheter, uh, over the wire uh, catheters, and then Josh Macauer, who uh, has invented like everything else in healthcare. Um, But uh, I'd recommend picking that up. But Barbara, you were going to say something. No, I was agreeing. I'm just nodding because this is like the the perfect storm. And and somebody will say textbook. What's that? (laughs) There's also a bunch on YouTube as well. They've got a lot of things on YouTube that you can go see. Well, it's along, interesting. along those lines, well, I was just thinking about, you know, going from the textbook thing. Along those lines, Mike, I'm wondering, where does artificial intelligence uh, weigh into on innovation at Braun at this point? And what do you see in the future for Braun with AI? Wow, everybody wants to talk about AI. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. When Bitcoin came around, right, everybody's talking about blockchain. I remember all the consultants were saying, guys, you guys got to get me involved with blockchain, whether it's cybersecurity, you name it, and everything else. My CEO said, Mike, we go to this conference, evaluate blockchain. Where should it be applied to in our organization? And I'll never forget, I went to the conference and I go, holy moly, it felt like a cult. I mean, at the meeting, they were saying blockchain is going to solve everything. And I'm going, no, it's not. <laughs> right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Where it can be applied to, there are good things that blockchain. I think AI is different just because a lot of people wanted to go into AI. If you're not good at big data analytics, don't even think about AI, first of all, right? So do you have the foundational components and resources and capabilities to really manage big data first? Um, and then scrubbing that and make sure you're, you're well-versed in those areas and resources before you go into AI. Um, Definitely, it has profound impacts. Um, for Bron, I would say it's specific to specific areas, right, in our digital um, areas too as well. So um, we have uh, definitely a big push coming from the top of the organization um, when it comes to the specific areas. I won't talk about those right now just from a um, privacy perspective, but uh, having re- resources when it comes to being specific on where you're going to apply it. Um, but I would say majority of the businesses that we play in, it's just, you're not going to put AI around it, right? It may be great to talk about it from a marketing perspective. And so I think that's the part that you need people around you to say, what's practical and realistic in applying it um, to healthcare as well, too. Um, and I think that's where kind of you got to you need to filter through the hype, right? And just be honest as an organization, as a marketplace um, and as healthcare evolves, too. It's got to be specific when it comes to, again, the population, the outcome, and the need. Um, you really stay focused on that and where are you going to apply AI. There are definitely benefits, and I think benefits that we don't even know yet. Um, so that's the exciting part is I, I would say maybe today's environment, nothing's impossible, right? Um, um, AI will definitely be able to align items that human beings just wouldn't have been able to connect the dots before. And that's the benefit there. And, and hopefully it's really going to help healthcare and our patients at the end too. And I do think, um, there are specific areas where it definitely will. 
for sure. So, so are there any products that Braun has that are using AI right now? And if not, when do you see like the first product launch within a time frame of years when you would actually see AI incorporated in the product? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> and should we buy stock? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, not many people know. Beepon's a privately held family organization. It's not public. Yeah, um, it's yeah. quite. I was joking. I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to buy stock too as well. Um, <laughs> in the end, the next three to five years, and I'd say a lot of our our competition in the marketplace too. Um, our, the investments are there, but realistically, when it comes to healthcare, the speed is never as fast as the consumer side of things as well. So if we're being honest with ourselves, I would say five plus in the end, right? I, I'd love to say the speed on our side. I, I've seen this with a lot of different technologies in healthcare. Healthcare does not move as fast, unfortunately, because of the regulatory hurdles. That's just the way it is when it comes to tech. Um, and I've seen a lot of CEOs say, how come we can't move as fast as Apple and all those things too, right? Um, and that's just from a safety component of it too as well. Um, so maybe it's more of assisted AI intelligence, especially on the EMR side systems as well, where they're not telling you you need to do this, but it's a very good suggestion that you should be doing this, right? And so they're always going to push from a regulatory and a risk liability perspective on the clinician, on the physician but it's gonna give them some powerful in insights of data sets that um, they may not have, ne have never looked at before um, to come up with better conclusions now. And, and I think that's where it's gonna be probably the best place, the first place it's gonna start off with, um, at least in, in, in the spaces. And then after that, it's gonna get very specific into therapy areas um, after that, so. You know, one of the things uh, that, that I learned as an innovation guy, and I'd be curious to get your thoughts on this, is I used to think that innovation always meant new technology. It always meant add blockchain, add AI, add fill in the blank. And um, I was educated in my uh, youth about the fact that no, like sometimes innovation can be the really, really simple, boring things you don't think about. Like I heard you say, Mike, that uh, what 50%, this is shocking to me, by the way, that 50% of nurses graduating nursing school don't know how to place an IV. Um, I mean, to me, that feels like such a great area of opportunity. Just, hey, we at Bron are now going to train people on how to how to place an IV. Oh, by the way, it's going to be our product, so you're going to get comfortable with it. And then, you know, fast forward in the time frame that you're looking at, you know, 10 years plus years, um, you've got ownership over IVs like J&J has over Suture because everybody's trained on J&J Suture. And so then when they want to look at the Medtronic product or other products, it's a hurdle because that's what they grew up with. So anyway, those are the kinds of things I bet you're probably taking a look at and saying, hey, we don't even have to like do anything different from a product standpoint. We just need to innovate our business model a little bit. That's a great point. Even our CEO pushes us and saying, what about business, new business model <laughs> innovation, yeah. right? It's a great one. Um, and I think from our perspective, you talk about catheters, right? I go, okay, we could build better catheters in the long run. In the end, it's not going to get you there. If we want to be that trusted advisor in healthcare and working together to solve these problems, we got to go after going back to you, Barbara, again, those needs. What are they trying to solve? What's the goal they're trying to get? Let's talk about how we're going to work there. The interesting part for me, though, too, was an eye opener once we came out with our new business model was that healthcare's marketplace today isn't aligned with that. 
where even value analysis there, everyone was saying, well, just I just want to buy the product. And it's like, wait, hold on. You want to you want to solve your dwell times, your first six success. We even want to talk about hand hygiene, Barbara. It's shocking the numbers that we see when we really go after the core, the core root of the problems here. And they never had that visibility before. So it's becoming a trusted buyer. Bring you got to focus on the need and bringing and solving for that, regardless if it's outside of just your specific product. If you want to be that J and J trusted model sales rep, right? I'm that advisor bringing value to my customer because that's I think the holy grail that you really need to get to. In the end, you can try to sell the best widgets and everything else, but if I'm bringing that expertise, and that's where Bebon, our model is sharing expertise. How do we work together to solve these problems? If you focus on that, your success will follow, right? Barbara's gonna wanna talk to me more than just say, hey, you know, let's talk about these numbers here, right? It's like, no, let's talk about it from a clinical perspective and working together to solve these problems. And so I do, I do think healthcare will evolve when it comes to the marketplace and these companies and that products only get you so far. Yeah, so, and it's a really great point because we could spend a lot of time onboarding a product, doing all the training, everything we went through for months, and within a couple of weeks is, well, it's this product that's not working. Right. And what we realize is we needed to have done an assessment to see if there were other steps and things that could be eliminated or were interfering or whatever. And so, but it takes a while to get over the, I changed that product, it must be the product. So to have that, I, when I talk with clients, I talk about assessments when it's really important for their product and doing baseline. So um, it sounds like something that you have, thought about uh, very carefully. Oh yeah, Barbara. So when you talk about assessments, I always say to the sales side, before you even presented anything, did you understand their needs? Yeah. What they're trying to solve? What's important to them, right? <laughs> Let's have those conversations first. And then we can talk about how we can work together to solve that. Um, and that's a hard one. That, that to me was an eye-opener where I said the, the typical sales rep in the past was, teach me the presentation. I'm going to memorize it. I'm going to slam it. You ready to buy it, Barbara? Yeah. And then I ask a question and they go, it's not in my material. I don't yeah. know. Exactly, right? <laughs> so how can you be a trusted advisor when all you're doing is being taught to deliver a script? Mm-hmm. And I don't understand my customer's needs. So as a trusted advisor, you often have to tell people, providers, uh, as a vendor, that some of the things that they're doing aren't good. They're actually really bad at it. So as a vendor, how, how do you do that tactfully? So we struggled with that when we come back to you, when we focused on the goal of how do we get to one catheter stick for the entire course of therapy, right? Um, the one I'll never forget, because probably going back to you, what's my baseline? And how do I know I'm continuously improving in this area, right? Because it takes time. You're not just going to implement change right away and you're 100% right off the bat. So how do you progress over time? The first one, we did the baseline assessment and then we implemented and showed how, how where they're at on their first check-in. But before we got into the first check-in, we shared the baseline assessment, Barbara, and, and they go, I'll never forget it. Infection prevention was in the meeting room and, and they go, wait a minute, what do you mean hand hygiene is only at 60%? And I'm going, that's correct. We were scared to tell you this number. 
And they go, you got to be kidding me. And that's with someone observing them, right? But the important here, Barbara, point was that they didn't even know. They thought they were doing well in hand hygiene. And our point was, in order to move the needle, we need to show where they're at from a baseline perspective. And that's what we do with these snapshots. And that's why we said, how do we change behaviors on the front lines at the end of the day? We need to provide these tools. But at the end of the day, sometimes the data coming out of these tools it's concerning and scary, um, but the only way we address healthcare's toughest challenges is is being honest with ourselves and providing that you know those data points to as well. And that was an important part of our business model when we talk about not just selling a catheter by itself, right? How, you know, how do we provide these um, these pieces of information and work to solve together to uh, to raise that bar? So. Um, but yeah, Skinder, that that was the hardest conversation. We didn't even know. We're like, oh my goodness, we knew this is not a good data point. <laughs> but you know what's amazing too is the more data points that we gathered, it wasn't different from a lot of facilities. And so that's where we go, wow, there's other problems that we're observing. When we're focused on one key problem, we're actually finding additional findings. And that goes back to you. Well, then let's talk about now how can we solve for those things too. So um, going back to how do we work together? Let's focus on the goal and how we get there. Um, there are some tools that we could do together um, to win. Um, and, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day. So, you know, trying to get away from those old school commercial models um, and those old school sales approaches um, to really be raising the bar um, together. And for us, it's becoming that trusted advisor for sure. Yeah. I think I think you're going to find and I know we're getting close to time so we can uh, we can get close to wrapping up. But I think you're going to find. Whether you're big B. Braun and, and you know, a great company with amazing legacy, you're a younger company that's trying to figure out how to do this uh, or somewhere in between. I think you're going to find there's interest on the provider side to have those kinds of relationships, because at the end of the day, um, if you think about what you're able to do, right, Barbara was in a provider for a long time. I was in a provider like. You're you don't have the same resources that a B Braun does or that a Medtronic or JJ does or a small company that can come in and do things. And so those opportunities to partner up, it's I think, I think I want to keep people from thinking that it, this needs to be like a hard sales job of like, hey, let me convince you why this is a good idea, knowing that there's a plenty of people inside just about any health system you can pick that are trying to figure out how to do it differently and and need to be able to move faster and despite the timelines that you mentioned, Mike, about what, you know, what FDA approval looks like and how long that can, that can take, you move that much faster, so much faster than you can on the provider side. So um, I would just encourage people to, to look at how they can do what you're doing, maybe at a smaller scale, but look for those partners and providers. Yeah, absolutely. I always say, you don't have to go about it alone. Right. right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mike, uh, we appreciate your time. We're gonna we're gonna start wrapping up here. We'll we'll do some uh, final thoughts and round robin and give you the last say um, in, in it. So, uh, Mike, you want to uh, Mike's Purdue? You want to lead us off with a final thought here? Well, Mike, thanks so much for your time. I learned a lot, and uh, my big takeaway was I'm carrying Purell when I go to the hospital <laughs> there, and uh, I'm gonna learn how to insert a catheter and uh, start an IV. So, uh, thank you very much for that. No, but in all seriousness, thanks. Everything was great. Yeah. Hey, Tom. Yeah, uh, Mike, I I agree with Mike's Perduti. Uh, fantastic discussion. Thank you for your time and preparation. And my takeaway is, you know, innovation. People think about it as just like this eureka moment. Aha! 
but really it's a process. And I thought you brought some very nice insights that it takes some patience, it takes some hard questions, and you know, you've got to stick to it. So uh, thank you for your insights. Scott? Yeah, uh, I just, it's encouraging to talk with folks that are helping to drive the future of healthcare. And uh, I'll echo what my esteemed colleagues, uh, Tom Hickey and Mike, the Ziploc Kings for duty said earlier. Um, I think, I think knowing that it's a process and it's, you know, it's a discipline and not just eureka moments that are, that are driving innovation is should give people comfort that a, they can do it too. And B that great things come out of it. So um, yeah, I just think it's cool. I think you're doing great stuff. I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Thank you for joining. Barbara. Um, I want to thank you as well. And you made so many great points that no matter who in our audience and where they are in their journey or how small or large they are, they're really going to get those moments and things. So my thing is, it's the true need, true goal was the best thing, because everything kind of comes off of that when you when you go back to that. But when Scott said something about, you know, and you about true partnerships is we would look to the supplier because you are in so many different provider organizations and you can open the eyes to other folks that they, they can't get out of their box. They're in their box. And so I think that's just a refreshing way to look at it. And that's how you gain those partnerships. So thanks again. And I just I know I've I've already used up all my my minutes, but can I give you a perfect example of that? So I was this was back when I was doing innovation at um, Covidian, and we were doing some things around bariatric surgery. And I'm in a case, and we had seen a bunch of them. And literally in the middle of the case, the bariatric surgeon looks at me. He's like, uh, "Have you been to Duke and talked with Doctor? Forget his name." And I was like, "Yeah, we were there last week." And he's like, "So how does he do it?" And I was like, "Because there's two ways you can do a Roux and Y." And uh, and so I was like, uh, trying to remember. And then I was like, he does an anti-anti, which is one way to do it. And he's like, well, does he does it, does it do it this way or that way? And like, you can tell he's trying to figure out if he's going to do it in the case. And I'm like, first of all, please, sir, don't, don't do this. And second of all, like, it, it's just a great example of this honeybee effect that um, folks in the supplier community have. Like, you're seeing how many different times somebody's doing a gastric bypass or whatever, or whatever your area of expertise is. And it's really valuable to be able to bring that in. So yeah, Barbara, I just wanted to really underline that point. That point is something that is valuable for uh, providers. He did not end up doing an anti-anti, by the way. So he did his. But maybe you had to go on up there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so my final takeaway, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to speak to, uh, to a level here that Mike probably isn't prepared because I promised him high in journalistic integrity throughout. So I'm going to keep the <laughs> journalist integrity here. Not too many people know that Mike's, uh, Mike's incredible innovation and marketing strategy background started off with an internship at Disney. Um, so the, uh, <laughs> I was not so goofy, by the way, you, you were not, he was not goofy, <laughs> but the only thing everybody really wants to know is what was Cinderella really like? <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned to the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And that's going to be a whole nother series. It's not going to really, really be yeah, right. focus, but yeah. What would Cinderella do? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. Exactly. 
No, thanks again, Mike. We really appreciate the time. Incredible illumination of, of thought and, and strategy in these difficult times. And uh, it, it's really amazing how B-Braun has just continued to find success uh, throughout. So we really appreciate you sharing some of those insights with us. No, this has been fun. And uh, thanks for having me. We'd love to uh, talk more. So cheers, everybody. Great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you to the listening audience. Again, uh, we want to close out by reminding everybody that we do have a sister podcast, uh, Women in MedTech. Highly encourage you to listen. Uh, they've had some incredible guests and uh, are, are really talking about some amazing topics uh, that, that appeal to everybody um, and really encourage you to take a listen. Uh, with that said, we uh, thank you for listening today. And this is the MedTech Business Academy.